We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Also want to remind you with these online services is to take advantage of the chats and the comments. We've got pastors and ministry team that's ready uh, to interact with you, hosts. And, and so please let us know that you're here. Be a digital greeter. Share prayer requests, things that God's doing in your life. Uh, if there's verses that stand out to you as we go through the word together, uh, please uh, share that with us. And we're believing that God is going to speak to us as we get into the word there's so many voices uh, getting our attention right now. I don't know about you, but it seems almost more difficult to hear God's voice. As we begin, let's pause, let's pray, let's enter into God's presence, enjoy his presence, and ask that he would speak to us in faith. So, so pray with me. Father, we surrender afresh to you. We thank you that you're our dad. We thank you that in changing times, you're unchanging, that you're certain, that you're the rock of all ages, and we come to you for refuge we come to you for direction and wisdom. We thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you that you loved us enough to die for our sins and rise again, that you love this world, that you desperately want to bring salvation and redemption. So Lord, would you give us clarity of the gospel? Would you give us clarity of our message? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of the book of 1 Corinthians is that we're bought with a price. And that shows us how much that God values us, how much that he loves us, that he would give the blood of his son so that we could be in relationship with him, that we could be adopted, that we could be saved. And Paul really shows us what a life in the gospel looks like. When the gospel impacts us, when we're moved by the gospel currently, then we begin to allow the gospel to flow through us in the way that we treat one another, the way that we treat the body of Christ, and the way we treat those that don't know Christ as their Savior. If there's ever a time for a gospel movement, it's now. What our lives need is to be freshly impacted with the gospel. What the church needs is a burden for those that don't know Christ as their Savior, for those that are, are going to hell. This chapter is all about the gospel. It's all about how God has poured out his love through the gospel and the personal sacrifices that Paul is willing to make because he's committed to God's message, because he's committed to the Great Commission. If you remember last week, the end of chapter 8, Paul encouraged believers to be willing to not eat meat offered to idols. If there's another believer that is stumbled, and now Paul backs up that argument with rights that he was willing to surrender, rights that he was willing to lay down because of the gospel. I pray that this is more than just information as we read through this chapter, but that we would be open to God touching our hearts afresh with the gospel, touching our hearts afresh for the lost. Verse one, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtlessly I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul seems to be questioned by the Corinthian church. They're questioning his leadership. They're questioning his care for them. So he reminds them and says, I am an apostle, and as an apostle, I'm free. I've been sent out by the Lord. I've been commissioned to the Lord. My life belongs to the Lord, and I have tremendous freedom. 
He reminds the church of Corinth that he had a vision of the Lord. This was at his conversion. When God called him by name, converted him from Saul to Paul. And he reminds the church of Corinth the relationship he has with them. He says, you're the seal of my apostleship. To others, they may not consider me apostle, but to you, I'm an apostle. Paul was instrumental in this church and in planting this church. It's interesting, this phrase that he uses, the seal of my apostleship. You've maybe heard this phrase that the test of your leadership is if anyone is following. And the test of Paul's apostleship is that there's the church of Corinth, that there's these churches that have been birthed. So he says, you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse three, my defense to those who examine me is this. So Paul has to give a defense for his own character, has to give it a defense for his own motivation. And this is sad when this happens. When a mentor, a pastor, a discipler, for some reason, we get off step with them and we start to see them through a tainted lens and there has to be a conversation to clear up motivation. But the Apostle Paul's willing to do that because he cares for the church. This reminds me of a family dynamic of husbands and wives and relationship with kids and grandparents and aunts and uncles. Sometimes in families you have to sit down and, and clear things up and Paul has to clear things up with the church of Corinth. He doesn't want to leave this to the enemy and allow the enemy to have a, a field day. Verse 4, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? as do also other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? The answer is obviously yes. In Christ, Paul has freedom to eat and drink. Paul has freedom as a single man to get married as long as he's marrying a fellow believer. And he reminds the church of Corinth of this freedom that he does have. In verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working. And Paul goes into this discussion. Is Paul able to receive a wage and a salary as an apostle, as a missionary, as a pastor, as, as an elder? And he's going to give us many biblical texts, examples that he does have that right to be able to receive a wage, but he's chosen to lay aside that right for the sake of the gospel. And this really gets into this gospel conversation and how the gospel impacts us and what are we willing to surrender for the gospel. So verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and doesn't drink of the milk of the flock. All three examples, you're not going to go fight a war on your own dime. You're going to be sent by your country. Your country's going to pay for that and, and outfit you with everything that is needed. If you plant a vineyard or a garden, are you going to eat from it? Maybe this summer you've planted a garden and you're looking forward to the produce that is going to come through it. It only makes sense that you're going to enjoy the fruit from it. If you're tending a flock, you're going to drink of the milk and Paul's building this example of the spiritual care that's given that Paul's going to receive from the care that he's pouring in. Verse 9, do I say these things as a mere man, or does the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. 
Is it oxen God is concerned about? In the Old Testament, God gives this law of you better make sure you feed your ox because your ox is treading the field for you. Your, your ox is out there laboring to your benefit. And Paul says, is God really concerned with the oxen or is there a deeper understanding here? He goes on to say, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritually for you, it's a great thing if we reap material things. So Paul lays out really clearly that he does have the freedom, he has the right to be able to receive that salary, that wage from his investment in the church of, of Corinth. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is gospel surrender. As we're impacted by what Jesus has done for us, as we're impacted by the fact that he's bought us with a price, we want our lives to be surrendered. Our lives to be surrendered to the Lord and also our lives to be surrendered to this truth. Is there anything that I'm doing that would hinder the gospel? Hinder the gospel going forth. And Paul, in his own prayer life and his own conviction, decided that he wanted to work with his hands. He was a tent maker to provide for his needs. It's what we would consider being bivocational today in ministry, where there's pastors and missionaries where they labor in the church, they labor with the unreached, but they also work a job in order to provide for the ministry. And Paul was of that conviction. He says, it's not wrong for me to take a salary or a wage, but I'm willing to lay down that right. I'm willing to surrender that right so that I don't hinder the gospel. Paul, as he was praying in his context and his ministry, came to the conclusion that if he were to receive a salary or a wage, it would actually hinder the gospel. And he would rather have the opportunities to share the gospel than to be hindered. And so he laid down that right. Are we willing to lay down rights and lay down freedoms and lay down comforts for the sake of the gospel? When we read the New Testament and the book of Acts and the early church, they were so moved by God's love, so moved by the commission to share the gospel with others that they were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to suffer. They were willing to surrender freedoms. So what is it in our lives that we go, man, I'm holding on to this so tightly. I don't want to let this go because in this moment, this comfort or this freedom has become more important to me than the cause of Christ. It's become more important to me than the gospel. So we need a fresh look at the gospel. We need a fresh look at the eternity and to say, God, I don't want to hold my life dear. I don't want to hold my comforts dear. I'm willing to surrender to you and lay down my rights. We think of Jesus. He's God. And he comes in human flesh. And he came to serve. Though he was all God, so all man. And he chose to not rely upon his deity. Don't misunderstand. He was God. But the scriptures tell us that he emptied himself. He laid down his rights in order to serve us 
for the work of salvation, for the work of redemption. So if there's motivation, where does it come from to lay down our rights, to surrender our rights? It comes from seeing who Jesus is and seeing what he's done for us on the cross. Even inside of marriage and family, sometimes we hold on to our right. You know, our right as a husband or a right as a, as a wife or a dad or a mom. And God says, look, are you willing to lay down your rights? Are you willing to surrender that for the cause of Christ so that your family can see the love of Jesus? So others around you can see the reality of, of who Jesus is. So it's something to pray through. It's, it's something to wrestle through. I mean, to be honest with you in this, my flesh wrestles. There's a part of me a large part of me where my spirit so longs for gospel impact, so longs for my life to be used in the life of unbelievers, for what I invest my time and energy to, to, for it to have eternal value. But then my flesh, in my flesh, I don't want to let go of comforts. I don't want to let go of freedoms. I want to hold on to, to those things. And here Paul He's giving us an example. He's following the example of Christ, saying, I'm willing to surrender my rights for the gospel. And his challenge to us in the church of Corinth is, are you willing to surrender your rights? Are you willing to surrender your comforts for the sake of, of the gospel? In verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, giving us another Old Testament example where the priests and the Levites, as they would serve in the temple and offer first the sacrifices to God, then they were able to eat of the sacrifices, and that's how they were sustained. That's how they and their families received food. And so he's saying it's not wrong for those who preach the gospel to live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. So Paul's not saying, I'm writing these things to you as some kind of backhanded marketing scheme. Well, now you'll start to support me financially. He's saying, no, I'm really convicted of this. This is such a strong conviction in my life that I would rather die then someone be able to take this boasting from me that I have not hindered the gospel. There's a lesson here for us in this, is that Paul had a conviction to lay down his right to receive her salary or, or wage, where there were other apostles who seemed to receive a salary and a wage. And so you have different servants of the Lord applying the truth of Scripture inside of their own relationship with God. And neither of them are wrong. If an apostle took a salary or a wage, he's not wrong. For Paul to be bivocational, he wasn't wrong. But that's the beauty of the Lord. We need to have peace in our own hearts of saying that my actions, my life is not hindering the gospel. And how that might look will be different as the Lord leads each and every one of us. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid on me, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul wants us to understand what he means by this whole boasting thing. He says, if I preach the gospel, I can't boast. Because God has given me this burden 
to preach the gospel. It's a necessity that's laid upon me. He says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Do we have that kind of burden for souls? As we see people on the news and we see current events that are are taking place and we look into the eye of our neighbor and to the eye of our family and our coworker, do we have that nagging question, do they know Christ? Where are they going to go for all of eternity? Will they be in heaven? Will they be in hell? There's two occasions in my life where God has used two men to really deepen my burden for, for lost souls. And the first was Joe Sasser, a guy that I went to school of ministry with. And we spent the first three months serving at an orphanage in Mexico during our school of ministry. And Joe and I would take walks on Monday night on the Baja of Mexico, these dirt roads, and talk and pray. And Joe would pray for India. He had a real heart for, for India. And he would often weep in his prayers for the lost souls of the people in India. And I had never known anyone or spent time with anyone that had that kind of a burden for lost souls. And it really impacted me. And then just this year, this last calendar year, a missionary that we support as a church in the Middle East was back visiting the church and family and friends and we sat down in the cafe and had a conversation and he was sharing with me the burden that he had for the souls of those that he serves in the Middle East and how he longed for them to come to know Jesus. He longed for them to have the joy that comes through the gospel, the joy that comes from knowing the death and the resurrection of Jesus, receiving the grace for the salvation of our sins knowing that they have eternal life and he just longs for this people that he serves to come to know Christ as their savior and he's crying as he's describing these lost souls and it impacted me and I began to cry and I began to to be burdened and God deepened my heart for those that don't know Christ as their savior and once again to be honest with you there are moments in time where I live in this burden for lost souls. And it's very clear of the priority of those that don't know Christ, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. But then there's times where I get distracted. There's times that I get discouraged. There's times that I get busy. And I do still care for lost souls, but instead of it being a priority, it has drifted down in my life. And God then has to come and wake me up once again to lost souls. Wake me up to the reality that people don't know Christ as their Savior. We have to examine the big picture of knowing Jesus. We have to examine the big picture of why the church exists. Why has the Lord brought us together for fellowship? What is our purpose right now in the midst of this COVID as we continue to to walk this out? What is our, our response to be as there's so much tension that's happening inside of, of our country? We need a gospel response. We need to see that the greatest need in our country, hands down, on all of these issues is to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The greatest thing that could happen to us is for God to deepen our burden for lost souls. And we oftentimes just think about our own lives and getting through this life and surviving, and God's wanting us to have a gospel perspective. 
We oftentimes think it's someone else that God's going to use. God wants to use you. He's planted you in the neighborhood he wants you to be in, in the apartment he wants you to be in, in the workplace, in the family that you're in, with very specific opportunities to be able to share and declare the gospel to people. And Paul says, this is a necessity that has been placed on me. This is a burden that has been placed upon me. And may the Holy Spirit give us that burden. May we be open to that burden. May we begin to pray, God, would you give me a heart for lost souls? Jeremiah the prophet went through a time of discouragement. In his discouragement, he says, God, I'm done speaking your word. I'm done proclaiming your message. But then this is what happened to him, and I read to you. This is Jeremiah 20, verse 9. It says, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. The word of God was in his heart. It was alive in his heart, even in discouragement. Even in not seeing the results that he desired. He preached God's word faithfully and never saw one person repent and come back to the Lord. But yet, the word of God was so powerful, it was even more powerful than his discouragement, and it was like a burning fire. And he could not hold on to it anymore. And he says, I've got to declare it. And God won out over his discouragement. And maybe that's the place that we find ourselves this weekend. We're saying, I've lost hope. I've seen so many people reject the word. When is there going to be that spiritual spark and that revival? May we be faithful. We're never going to regret in eternity loving people enough to proclaim the good news to them. As a church, as a Rocky Mountain Calvary family, I pray that we would never lose sight of the importance of the gospel. That we would have that in our hearts and in our minds, God's love for people, for the lost, for them to know Christ as our Savior. Verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with stewardship. His motivation matters. His motivation is important. He's saying, if I do this willingly, then I'm going to be rewarded. He realized he's been entrusted with something that doesn't belong to him. Stewardship is taking care of something that doesn't belong to you. So he's got to take care of what the Lord has entrusted to him. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Why would we charge for something that God gives away for free? God gives the gospel for free. It costs God everything. His son, his most valued beloved son, but we receive it as a free gift through faith. So why would we charge for it? So Paul says, I'm not going to charge for the gospel. I'm going to give the gospel away free, the way that God intended it. For though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I may win the more. So we have gospel surrender, but we also have gospel service. Gospel service. And Paul says the way that he viewed people, the way that he viewed lost souls, is that he was a servant to them. Because he wanted to win them to the gospel. 
we look at the life of Jesus and he loved and he served people. As I was thinking about this and praying about this this afternoon and thinking about Jesus feeding the 5,000, casting out demons, healing the paralytic, allowing little children to come up on his lap, saying, man, Jesus is a cool guy. He's a cool dude. I would love to hang out with Jesus. I would love to spend time with Jesus. Jesus loved people so much and his care for them in serving them was contagious. It was contagious. And Paul adopts that same attitude. And if we think about gospel impact and how do we take the gospel out to people, service is oftentimes the open door to a gospel conversation. Jesus entered into this world The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we dwell among unbelievers, as we just take time to enter into their world and serve them, and we have genuine love in our hearts and want to know them, many times that leads to a gospel conversation. The third week in April, I spent a couple days in the hospital as I was getting diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And it was a unique time. COVID was in full force. My family couldn't be with me in the hospital, Amber and the kids. There wasn't a lot of people in the hospital, a lot of patients in the hospital. So the nurses, especially, didn't have a lot to do. Kind of strange at a hospital. And the UC health system, there's a lot of nursing students. So I got a nursing student, a a young man in his mid-20s, and he just began to spend time in my room. And he had a 12-hour shift. And he would have conversation with me and I started having conversation with him and we built a rapport. And by the mid-afternoon, he just pulled up a chair next to my, my bed. And I know that it was the Holy Spirit, but I just had a desire to get to know him. I just wanted to know him and know his story and know about his family. We began to talk more and more and he began to open up. And then in a very genuine way, we were able to talk about the gospel we were able to talk about who, who Jesus was. And the simple act of service opened that door to the gospel. I want to know this kid. I want to know this guy. I want to I hear his life and what's going on in his life and what his, his background was. So as we look to serve people, we serve them, we serve them, we love them, that's many times going to be where we get to share the gospel, we, where we earn the right to be able to be heard. Paul explains this more and says, And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be a partaker of it with you. This is gospel service. Paul says to the Jew, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I went under the law. To those that aren't under the law, I I wasn't under the law. I became like all men to win them for Christ. Laying down our culture and entering into their culture is a bridge to the gospel. 
Now, what Paul is not doing here is compromising the gospel or compromising the scripture. Some have used this to say, I'm going to go ahead and enter in and sin with someone so that I can win them to the gospel. And that makes no sense. That, that's not the message that's being declared here. But this is saying, I want to take the time to understand who this person is, what makes them tick, what's their cultural background, really enter into their world, not do things that will be blatantly offensive to them for the opportunity to share Christ, to share the truth and share the gospel. You know, missionaries do this all the time. When missionaries go into another country, they understand that they have to take into account and affect the culture that they're entering into. There can be things that are very offensive that if they don't learn, well, they won't have the opportunity to share the gospel. And we need to keep that in mind when we're sharing with people locally as well. When I was in eighth grade, I had a really awesome basketball coach. His name was Mr. Shea. And he would do all of the running with us. And that really stood out to me. I never had a coach like that. All the challenges that he gave us to do, he did. He, we went on a road trip to Camp Klamath Falls to play in a tournament. And he stayed up late with us. And he was talking basketball cards with us and talking sports with us. And you know what? He had us. By that point, he had our ear. And he began to share the importance of Christ in our lives. Now, if he hadn't have built that rapport, if he hadn't taken the time to figure out what was important to us, we wouldn't have probably listened in the same way. He, he humbled himself to take time to enter into a bunch of eighth grade boys' worlds so that he could impact them for Christ. And this is the kind of, this is the kind of service that God desires for us to do. Church, if I could yell right now and it would make this hit home, I would yell. If I could whisper to make this point hit home, I would whisper. But once again, this is what our world needs. This is what our world needs. It's for us as believers to get out of our comfort zone, to love and care for unbelievers, enter into their world, take time to enter into their context, Step in with service and declare the gospel that Jesus loves them and died for their sins and wants them to be set free. When you look at the gospels, so much of the life of Christ that's recorded for us is not his public teaching. We have very few of his public teaching and we have a lot of his interactions with people one-on-one. -on -one. Gospel movements many times are in the midst of one-on-one -on -one conversations. And God can equip all of us to be able to do that. I don't feel like that's my strength. Having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that lead to the gospel, it's not my strength. It's always outside of my comfort zone. But this is for all believers to enter into, to serve people with the gospel. We end with this challenge for discipline. And it's still tied to the gospel. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in a way that you may obtain it. You've noticed when there's a race, there's only one who wins the gold. And we're challenged to run in such a way that we would win the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for 
an imperishable crown. This week I watched a documentary. It was a National Geographic documentary. It was called Breaking Two. It's about three guys. They're all from different countries in Africa. And they spent six months at Nike headquarters training to try to run a full marathon, 26.2 miles, in under two hours. No one in the world has ever gone under two hours and three minutes. To break that two-hour barrier is to run a four-minute, 34-second mile for 26.2 miles. You know how crazy that is? Like, go out and run an eight-minute mile and see how it feels. And then think about doing that for 26.2 miles. And these guys are running four-minute miles and trying to do that for 26 miles. So they train, they train, they train, they train. There was no gold medal for this. It was just for the pure joy of knowing you were the first human on the planet to run a marathon in two hours. All the guys dropped off, the two guys dropped off, and there was one guy who was left, one guy from from Kenya, and he got it in two hours and 23 seconds. (laughs) He missed it by 23 seconds, but he was willing to go through a lifetime of discipline just for a perishable crown. And we want to accept discipline in our lives to live in such a way for an imperishable crown. Wouldn't it be awesome to get to heaven and see people that came to know Christ through your life? That's an imperishable crown. That is literally going to last for all of eternity. So Paul says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Paul's saying, I've got clarity in my life. Oh man, this is a time where we need clarity. We need vision, we need focus, we need direction, we need to know what our lives are about. And Paul says, I know what my life's about. And it's proclaiming Jesus. And it's proclaiming the gospel. And that is so important in my life that it gives me direction. It gives me courage and steps that I need to take. So with this certainty, this is what he does. I discipline my body and bring it to subjection lest when I preach to others, I myself become disqualified. This is gospel subjection. This is gospel discipline. Paul says, I want my body to be disciplined so that I'm not disqualified in preaching the gospel. It's interesting that Paul would highlight his body because when we sin, we sin with our body. Our body is what gets out of control, the lack of self-control and yielding to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there saying, hey, repent of that lust, repent of that anger, repent of that pride. And as we don't yield to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and eventually there's voices of brothers and sisters in Christ that love us and challenge us, and we don't listen to that, eventually then sin is manifest in our actions, in our body, and we're disqualified in preaching the gospel. People go, I'm not going to listen to the gospel from, from your lips because your actions are so contradictory to the gospel that you're declaring. Now, don't get me wrong. No one's perfect. Paul's not perfect. We wouldn't need the gospel if we were perfect. But what Paul does understand, especially as an apostle and the leadership that God has given to him, that his ministry will never be the same if he chooses to walk in disobedience. He says, I don't want that to happen, so I'm gonna 
choose to discipline my body. I'm going to choose to bring my body under sub- subjection because I don't want anything to hinder me from being able to proclaim and declare the gospel. Please remember these three words, duty, discipline, and delight. A lot of times in the Christian life, we think that it's always going to be delight, that we're always going to have the feelings, we're always going to have the emotions, and sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. So there are times in our relationship with God where it's duty. It's God has commanded me. I know it's important for me to be in God's word. I know it's important for me to be in fellowship. I know that I need to be committed to sharing the gospel, even though my feelings don't line up. So I'm choosing to act out of obedience. I'm acting out of duty. When I act out of duty, then that leads to discipline. Discipline arrives in our lives. I don't know about you, but I very rarely feel like going to the gym and working out. But when I do, I feel great. I don't feel like going out for a run. My body's saying, no, thank you. But when I choose to do it out of duty, then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I, I did. I cleared my mind, had a good time with the Lord, had some good fellowship with, with other people, right? It's that duty, it's that decision of obedience, and then that leads to some discipline in our lives, and then eventually the delight comes. But more time goes by, and we get back to duty. So we're always going to be in a cycle of duty, discipline, delight. So don't freak out when you get to that place when you're like, man, this feels like duty. What should I do? Keep acting in obedience, and the emotions will come along. Let's take a fresh look at the gospel for a moment. The good news. What's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. It was always in the heart and mind of God that he would send his son to die for sinners. That's me, that's you, that's us, that's the whole world. This sacrifice that Jesus has made upon the cross is not for one nation, one tribe, one tongue, one ethnic group, one color of skin. It's for all people. All people are created by God, that God loves, that he desperately desires to be with him in eternity. The gospel is God demonstrated his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He died for us. Right now in my life, there's some fresh level of pain. There's some some fresh level of, of difficulty. And God is meeting me and he's helping me. But through having type 1 diabetes, you may be familiar, you may not. It's, it's very different from type 2 diabetes. My immune system shut down my pancreas. My body doesn't produce any insulin. So I'm very dependent upon insulin. I won't be alive if, if I don't have insulin. So throughout the day, I've got to give myself insulin shots. I've got to check my blood sugar and it, there's, a, there's a level of discomfort there. There's a level of physical pain there. There's, there's a level of weakness there. My, my life is more difficult health-wise than it was prior to this. And, th- and there's a hopeful future, and I'm thankful for insulin and thankful for all of, of the tools, but 
especially with this being fresh in my life, there, there's, there's pain in my life. There's, there's suffering in my life. And the beauty of that and the redemption of that is it's caused me to think more of the sufferings of Christ. It's caused me to think of more of what Christ went through physically for me, that he, he bled for me, that he understands physical pain in a far greater way. His, his physical pain wasn't something that he was doing to stay alive like type one, but it was something that he chose because he loved me. It's something that he chose because he wanted us to be his sons. He wanted us to be his, his daughters. And I, I also have a fresh view of my wife and a fresh view of my kids and my love for my, my kids and the time that I'm able to, to spend with my kids and that God would love me enough to give his only son, his only begotten son that he loves so much. That's how much he loves me, but that's how much he loves the world. And I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom but I desperately want to see people come to know Jesus because he's so good. He's so kind and he's so gracious and, and he's loving and he's what people need in their lives. So as you're watching this, if you don't know Christ as your savior, would you be saved right now? Would you turn to Jesus? The gospel is real. Jesus died for you. He rose again for your sins. And we repent of our sins, which means we turn away from our sins we change our mind, we change our direction, we turn to Jesus, Jesus save me, and invite him to be the Lord of your life. And Jesus says what we choose to do, whether we accept or reject, it determines whether we go to heaven or hell, and God wants you to go to heaven. But it's more than life insurance, it's more than just getting eternity squared away, it's being in a relationship with Christ. So in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your savior. But I'd ask that you decide right now that I need to receive Christ. For those of us that know Christ as our savior, it gets confusing, it gets discouraging. There's all kinds of noises that are clamoring for our attention. And may the scripture this weekend give us crystal clarity. It's the gospel, that we're loved by God and God wants the world to know his love through his son and he has commissioned us he doesn't have to use us but he wants to use us the instrument in which god uses in a lost and dying world is the church it's the church maybe the biggest lie that we're starting to believe is that god cannot change hearts and minds that god cannot save people out of darkness and bring them into light and may god waken us afresh to his love for people and a burden for souls. And as the Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now, is there one or two people that he's really putting upon your heart that he wants you to invest in, that he wants you to serve? And maybe you've been serving them for some time and sharing the gospel with them for some time, but it's that renewed commitment to pray. It's that renewed commitment to serve. It's that renewed commitment to say, I'm going to lay down my culture and enter into their culture. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to be bold about the gospel in a loving and genuine way because I care about this person. Because the Spirit of God inside of us wants to bring us to that place of necessity, that place of brokenness, that place of, I've got to share the gospel. 
I've got to share the good news. So let's pray together. Father, would you forgive us when we lose sight of the big picture, when we lose sight of eternity and people that don't know you? And we're humbling our hearts and we're asking that there would be an even greater gospel movement. Lord, in our lives and in our church and in our community throughout the world, we believe that time is short. We believe you, Jesus, are, are coming soon. The signs seem to be pointing that way. Eternity is real. And God, would you move us to care for those that don't know Christ? And Holy Spirit, would you fill us, lead us, guide us, and direct us? Give us opportunities to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. Where we're believing in faith right now, that there's those that are watching that don't know you. And Holy Spirit, would you communicate to them your love? Would you show them their need for you in a way that words just don't cut it, but you're speaking to their heart? For those of you that are being touched by God in that way and you've never trusted Christ, you've never believed the gospel, would you pray this with me right now? Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin and receive your grace and forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. Father, I thank you for those that have responded to the gospel. And you tell us that as we believe we're saved, as we believe we're the child of God, as we believe we become the temple of the Holy Spirit, as we believe we have everlasting life. So God, would you bless those that have trusted you and guard them and grow them in you. And Lord, would you move us this weekend? Holy Spirit, would you move us? We're weak. We desire your power, but help us to walk in obedience of taking the gospel forth, taking the gospel out to those that don't know you. May that be our marching orders. May that be the clarity in the midst of the chaos. So we love you in Jesus' name, amen.